And we're live. We're back. We're back with another episode. Oh boy, this is going to be good. Yeah, I'm really excited. Well, geez, I'm always really excited about this. I feel like a broken record because, you know, (laughs) this is my favorite thing to do. So here we are again. But I'm particularly excited for our guest today um, because I've been following her on Instagram for a while. And then you were like, hey, by the way, do you want to record with her? Yeah. Today, I was like, uh, yeah, are you kidding me? Obviously. Yeah. That, that all fell into place so well. We have Dr. Lori Mintz here with us today, who is a sexual psychologist and who she does not think there's anything wrong with educating people about sexuality on social media, in the classroom, in her lectures. And Lori, welcome and thanks for spreading the word. Well, thank you for having me on. Okay. So, Whitney. The book that Lori wrote that I first learned about is called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And I first met Lori at STAR, which is the, it's a conference for, it's called the Society for Sex Therapists and Researchers or sex therapy and research, right? And Lori was there and she had written this popular crossover book and she had really popularized two terms. One of them was clitoracy and the other one was orgasm equality. And then you also brought another term into the mainstream, Lori, which is intimate justice. Can you talk to us about the title of your book and, you know, what is, what, what does it mean to be clitorate and what is orgasm equality and why does it matter? Okay. Well, So let me start with orgasm equality. It's the opposite of the orgasm gap, um, which is the orgasm gap. And I can get into stats if you want, but it's the finding. Okay, great. Yeah, we love stats. Okay, good. (laughs) Because I love stats too, because it really drives home the point. Um, So the orgasm gap is the finding, and it's across multiple research studies that when cisgender men, so people born with penises who identify as men, get it on with cisgender women, people born with vaginas who identify as women, the men are having way, way, way more orgasms than the women are. And so example, in one study where they didn't ask the type of sex, they just asked, you know, how much do you orgasm? 39% of women versus 91% of men said they had an orgasm. Yeah, an orgasm. It's a big gap. gap. I think I've also heard you and other speakers perhaps say that for every orgasm a heterosexual woman has in partnered sex, a man has roughly three. Just those stats really bring it home, don't they? God, that's insane to think about. Yeah. And like, especially when you put it that way, for every orgasm, like a heterosexual woman has, a man has it times three. <laughs> and yeah. what were, yeah, go ahead, Lori, talk to us more about this. Cause well, I think a lot of people don't know it. A lot of women might be experiencing it and just thinking it's natural or something. Yeah. And you know, that three to one ratio is an average. It's even worse in hookup sex. I mean, even it's dismal. It is. Tell a, us. Um, in research I do with my own students across the years, I use anonymous polling um, about only about 4% of women say they orgasm during first time hookup sex. 4%. 
Four I saw percent. that and it's compared to 55% of men. That's what I was reading on your site. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and it's, so the gap is biggest in first time hookup sex. It closes in, you know, second hookups, friends with benefits, but it never closes altogether. Even in relationship sex, the men are having about three times the orgasms women are. It's insane. And it makes total sense. I mean, it really does, especially when I, because I was when I was reading that about the first time hookup sex. And for me, I'm always very in my head, and I think this is probably something that we'll talk about. If I don't feel really comfortable with somebody, I'm most likely not going to orgasm. And I've been hooking up with this guy for probably like a year casually, but I feel like just as as of recently, we had the best hook up and like sex that we've had in a really long time. And I think it's just because I'm getting really comfortable with him. And I'm also saying more so what I want. Whereas in like a first time hookup, I don't tend to do that as much as I probably would want to. So we know these numbers about the orgasm gap. It's very real. And Whitney just gave us like some real life data points there. What and why do we have this orgasm gap for Lori? What's going on? Well, there's so many reasons, um, so many reasons. And I, there's, let me break it down into what I think the number one reason is, although Whitney just kind of um, alluded to some other reasons, which I'll talk about too. But the number one reason for the orgasm gap is a over-focus on an overprivileging, and I'm not blaming men, I'm blaming culture, a privileging and over-focus on male sexual pleasure and the way men most reliably orgasm. Most men reliably orgasm from penetration. Women don't. Yet the way our culture is set up, the language we use, calling sex and intercourse as if they're the same, everything before, foreplay, all these porn images. And I'm not anti-porn. It's just that it shouldn't be used as a role model. You know, the the guy sticks it in after very little fooling around and the woman's like, oh, 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 you know, she's having a a great (laughs) orgasm. And we know, yeah, that's so unlikely, right? You talk about, and Debbie Hervinick recently did a study about how something like only four to 18% of people with vaginas can orgasm from penetration. But yet we, we, I mean, this is something to really unpack. Hey, women and men listening. Intercourse does not equal real sex. So many different ways of having sex are real sex. And Lori, this is a point you make so beautifully that if we don't stop making intercourse synonymous with sex, we'll never have orgasm equality, will we? Exactly. Orgasm equality is equally valuing, giving equal attention to women's and men's most reliable route to orgasm. It's, it's, it's ceasing to consider intercourse, the sexual act that we, the goal that we revolve sex around in equally valuing clitoral stimulation and penetration. And that's sometimes, how we're going to get orgasm equality. Sometimes I've heard Whitney say, just exclaim on our podcast, you guys, PNV is not everything. exactly but yeah especially in first-time hookups right and Whitney you talked about this like somehow we feel less entitled to say wait this is what I need and it focuses a lot on 
what he needs. Plus, you know, Mm -hmm. then the other things that you talked about, like we're up in our heads. Does my body look okay? Do I smell okay? Am I doing okay? And um, slut shaming and all kinds of things also contribute. But the number one is sort of diminishing the, the clitoral stimulation women need and assuming we should orgasm the same way men do. And we don't. Right. I mean, if I'm going to hook up with somebody and there's not foreplay or they're not stimulating my clitoris, it's like, what are we even doing here? What are you, what, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> you, know, what are we I'm, you know what? Let's just, let's just eat instead. Instead, let's just skip all this. Let's skip this if you can't find my clit and know what to do with it. Okay. I just want to unpack the things that you just said. Dr. Mintz. I'm going to call you Lori, but I think of you always as Dr. Mintz, but you've told me many times to call you Lori. But less either it's, so on the low side, it's less than 5% of women. And on the high side, it's less than 20% of women who can have an orgasm from vaginal penetration alone. I just want to spell that out, underscore it, triple highlight it and put it in bold for the the people who have T and B sex as part of their sexual repertoire, how remarkably rare and unusual it is for a woman to be able to have an orgasm from that without something else going on, a vibrator, oral stimulation, digital stim, right? So just men and women listening, there is nothing wrong with, with your female partner if she can't have an orgasm from penetration alone, that just makes her a normal woman being a normal woman. Am I right, Lori? You are a hundred percent right. And I love that you're underscoring it. And that's the stats. It depends on how you answer the, ask the question, but only four to 18%. And I, I often hear, like, I get some of this on my social media or you know, men saying, well, you know, everyone, other women, every woman I've been with has that, you know, what's wrong with her? <laughs> and it's like, um, I think she was faking, which 70% of women fake 70%. And they fake during yeah. intercourse because they don't know this either. And they think, oh, I'm not, I'm not normal. This is how I'm supposed to, or they fake to get it over with, or many, many reasons, but exactly. You are Spot on, pun intended. I mean, I feel like a lot of us women um, could probably win a Best Actress Award for orgasming, fake orgasming. Yeah. Yeah. So many women tell me that they fake an orgasm to get it over with because they're not enjoying P and the V. And can I say something about this? I've tweeted about this many times. I get really tired and that's not, it's not what we're doing here. So let me say that first, but I get really (laughs) tired of people writing about women who fake orgasms as if they're the villains in this scenario, because we're telling them, we're making them grow up and live in a world that really privileges male pleasure, right? Every image you see of a sexual interaction when you're growing up whether it's, you know, a PG movie or a rated R movie or porn, whatever it is, it's as if the logical horizon of all sex is the male orgasm and it's over after that. So we socialize girls and women to believe that 
the male orgasm is the be all end all of sex and that that's when sex is over when he has an orgasm and that's a successful sexual encounter and then at the same time we want to shame them for faking an orgasm for valuing their own orgasm less how do we get out of this conundrum laurie oh i think that is such a great point wednesday that is such a good point that yeah let's not shame the women who are faking because a lot of times they're faking because they think something's wrong with them. They think they're abnormal. It's the images they've been raised with. Um, or it's sex is painful because they haven't had enough foreplay. They want to get it over with. And, mm, point. you know, because with no foreplay, it, it is painful. So there's so much around why women fake um, that, yeah, we shouldn't shame them. And we also shouldn't be shaming men for not knowing what we really need to do is really educate people and empower women without blaming them, empower them to know their bodies, to know how they orgasm and to feel like they can say it, they can do it themselves. Um, and, you know, and, you know, to tell women that by faking and again, not shaming, but by faking, you're teaching your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. And instead, like, let's empower women to say what does work for them. And my experience, there's also a lot of male bashing around this. Like men don't care about women's pleasure. Most of the men I meet do. They've just been misguided as well. And they're you know, there's, there's studies that show that men's self-esteem is based on giving a woman an orgasm by thrusting hard and lasting long, and they're not enjoying it. So this whole thing is, you know, they're enjoying it more, but they're pressured too. So the whole thing to me, it just comes down to education, educating and empowering everyone to get the stimulation that they need to orgasm. And teaching men who don't get taught in sex ed because we don't have sex ed, teaching men and women alike how awesome the clitoris is would be such a great place to start. And that's what I love about your talks. You really, Lori, you really delve into what exactly is the clitoris, um, what do different women who have them need. Um, can you talk a little bit about the steps to developing your clitoracy, men and women alike? Can you talk yeah, us through? Absolutely. So because <laughs> Whitney and I want to know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm my very guess, good friends with my clitoris. I was gonna say my guess is you two are already pretty clitorate, but um, but the clitoris is it is, it's the most amazing organ. It's the only organ in the human body, male or female, designed only for pleasure. And while there's two parts of it that can be seen on the outside, the glands in the hood, it's also a vast internal organ. It gets erections, just like the penis, it gets engorged with blood. And the way to get to know your clitoris is first step, get a good diagram, take a mirror, learn your anatomy, take a look down there, see what's down there. Then the next step is play with yourself. Lots and lots and lots of self-stimulation with your hands, with lubricant, with a vibrator. Find out what your clit wants and needs to orgasm. Some some people with vulvas like 
it on one side, some like it on the other, some like it alone, some like it, you know, with penetration added, take the time to get to know what you need and know that whatever that is, that is beautiful. I hate the word normal, but I'm going to use it. It's all good. But then here's the thing, then transfer that to partner sex because there's research showing when we teach women about their clits, they have orgasms during masturbation, but then they don't transfer it to partner sex. They know what they need when they're alone. In fact, 99% of women stimulate their clitoris during masturbation. Only 1% use penetration exclusively. Yet when with people with penises, we like throw it to the wayside sometime because of the weight of the culture. So then the next step to becoming clitorate is transferring your self-pleasure techniques to sex with a partner. What a funny thing that we do, because that's what you just said. 99% of us, you know, stimulate our clitoris when we're masturbating, but then we're like, eh, fuck all that. Let's just throw that out the window. Never mind when we're with a partner. It's just so funny to put it in those terms and have that super reflected back to me in particular, because I also do the same thing, which may come as a surprise to a lot of people just because you know, we host this podcast, but I still deal with, you know, social stigma and the pressure of that. But it's so funny to me that, it, that I just throw you it just completely out the window. You know what to do, but then you're just like, you know what? Just fuck me. Just TNT. <laughs> exactly. Like, you, right. know, you know, what's amazing. And this reminds me of something, Whitney, that you and I have talked about before. And I learned this from Lori is that um, for our queer listeners or our queer curious listeners, um, Lori talks a lot about how it's heterosexual women who experience an orgasm gap, uh, but not lesbians. Can you talk about that, Lori? Because I think it does have to do with transferring those skills from masturbation to partner. Because can you talk about um, how the gendered um, orgasm gap doesn't hold for lesbians as much? Yes. And um So when two women get it on, they don't have a problem. They're orgasming. We need to take a model from them. Why are they orgasming? Some people say, oh, if you have a clit, you know how to touch one. No, I don't think so. Because every clit requires something different. When you have a clit, you you know that you have to ask, how does yours like to be stimulated? And with no penis in the picture, there's, you don't have anything to revolve the encounter around to say when it starts, when it ends. And instead, they use a turn-taking model most of the time. I'll stimulate you, you stimulate me. We'll take turns orgasming. And instead of this simultaneous mythical orgasm during penetration, um, so we really need to take a page out of the lesbian playbook and apply it to heterosexual sex. But here's something really interesting, and I think it goes along with what you were talking about, Whitney, that even women who know, right? Lesbian women, feminist women. There was a study, it was a small study, but it was so telling where uh, bisexual women, women who were having sex with both, Mm. hookup sex with both women and men, they pretty much orgasmed consistently in their hookup sex with women, but didn't orgasm in their hookup sex with men. Mm. Interesting. There's some information, people. (laughs) Take that in. Bisexual women in first-time hookup sex with women orgasm notably more than they do when they're hooking up first-time with men. That really 
tells us a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it really, it, it really breaks it down to, it is, it's the, it's the heteros institution of heterosexual sex. That's the problem because it goes foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, male orgasm, female supposed to orgasm rarely does often fakes sex over. It's a really faulty script. It's such a faulty script. And it, you know, I liked the point that you made, Lori, that it doesn't serve anyone at, at all um, if we're not clitorate. No, nobody's really benefiting from it. I mean, Whitney and I know most of the men that we deal with who come up to us and ask us questions, who listen to our podcast or listen to us give a talk, they really do care about female pleasure. They really, you know, want to do the right thing and help their partner. Can you give us a roadmap for how that conversation might go? You said, you know, transferring that women, when we transfer our skills from masturbation to partnered sex and sort of take that knowledge about what, what makes us feel good when we're having sex with ourselves to apply it to a partner situation, that that's an important thing to do. How how do you suggest that people talk about this? Okay, so there's so many ways, so many ways. I'm so glad you asked the question. And a lot of times people assume, oh, you can only talk about it in relationships, but there's so many ways to talk about it um, in a hookup too. I had a student who wrote on her, um, I don't know if it was a Bumble or Tinder, but she wrote on her, one of those accounts, I'm into orgasm equality. You know, and and <laughs> that's so, so great. And she, yeah, and she she tells the story that uh, someone swiped whatever way. Um, I'm an old person; I never know the right or the left. But anyway, she swiped. This guy said, "You know, I don't get this. Like, what is this orgasm equality?" And she said, "Basically, it's my orgasms as important as yours, and I'm going to need some clit stimulation, or I'm going to do it myself." And he said, "Great, sounds good to me." Uh, <laughs> So that's a pretty open way to do it, but why not? But it's, it's sitting down with your partner if you have a more or a longer term partner and, you know, use this podcast. Uh, Hey, I was listening to this podcast and, you know, I was learning all about the power of the clitoris and how sex is enhanced um, when we attend to it with our hands or vibrators. And I'd like to try some of that with you. Um, I want to like have you stimulate my clip more. I want to bring my vibrator into our encounter, what, whatever, but open the conversation. And a lot of times it's best opened outside of the encounter. But if, you know what? The other option, just do it yourself. Take your hand, take your vibrator and stimulate yourself during intercourse um, or before or put your hand on his, show him what to do. You, there's so many ways to talk about this with words and without words. You know, I just want to, while, while we're talking. Go ahead, Wednesday. Uh, I, I was, oh, okay. Sorry about that. We have a problem because of um, we can't all see each other because it's COVID time. So we're recording remotely. I'm sorry that I interrupted you. Wait, I just wanted to quickly say that about vibrators and becoming clitorate. First of all, I love the idea of having a conversation about it outside the encounter um, and using the term clitorate like, oh, first of all, it's always great to triangulate other people. <laughs> like blame it, on, blame it on our podcast, women who are listening or men who are listening, if you want to start this conversation. 
I was listening to this podcast and as Lori suggests, use the term clitor, like, because that's a project that a couple can do together, right? Or people who like each other and want to have a successful sexual encounter. They, you can say, Hey, I heard about what it means to be clitorate. Let me tell you. But the other thing I wanted to say is I have heard from so many women, and this makes me really sad, who are in uh, sexual encounters with men and who are told by the men, like when they get their vibrator out, no, hey, wait, you don't need that. And they feel maybe threatened by it or they just, you know, don't want it there. I don't know, Whitney, if you've ever had that experience. I always say, like, I've been married for. 20 years, my husband is like the king of um, buying me vibrators, which is great. He got me my first vibrator when I was like 52 years old. Um, But not all male partners are into it, and some of them feel threatened by it. You guys, how do you think we can handle that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. That's actually something that I was um, wanting to ask Lori. And I hear this all the time from mm-hmm. a lot of my friends. I've never actually experienced someone being threatened necessarily by me wanting to bring um, sex toys into the bedroom. But something that did come up was the, I guess he really liked the physical like connection, you know, whereas if he's using a toy, then he doesn't have that physical connection. But I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I have the physical connection. <laughs> like this feels better. You're great. Your tongue is great. Okay. But it also doesn't vibrate. (laughs) And I would love (laughs) if it would vibrate, (laughs) you know, if you could stick a vibrator in your tongue, maybe that would be a different story, but guess what? You can't So just use the God darn vibrator. Um, but I think that's a huge, huge, um, topic. And I would love to hear Lori's input on that. So people are threatened a little bit by bringing sex toys in. What are some tips that, um, may help them? Yeah. So I love that, but I think that's the next best invention for a vibrator company, a little vibrator that fits over the tongue. They probably have one. I don't know about it, but I think you've just invented something. Good on Whitney. Well, there you go, guys. There you go. Just give me credit. You know, have fun out there. You can call it the Whitney or something fun. A billion dollars later. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. But what I tell people, and I've talked to students and clients about it, And, you know, the research stands behind this, a couple things. So let me do the nerdy research piece and then the more like emotional how to talk about it piece. So the research is really abundantly clear. And this is researched by Debbie Herbenek that um, women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms. And a woman's sexual satisfaction is highly correlated with her partner's acceptance of her vibrator use. And yeah high correlation. And part of that is, you know, there's this myth that it replaces men. And what I say is, well, a couple things. Um, and I'm not the first to say this. I give credit for the first part to Michael Castleman. Um, a vibrator can't say, I love you. It can't kiss. It can't cuddle. All it does is provide a type of genital stimulation that humans are unable to give and that vulvas love. And it's not, it's just a tool to enhance the experience. And in becoming clitorate, I have a metaphor that I use a lot with couples, which is if you and your partner were in the swimming pool and you were having a lovely day and there was a raft in the pool and you were like having a fun time and you jump on the raft, you jump off the raft, you kiss, you know, you swim 
all day. You wouldn't leave the swimming pool and call your friend and say, oh my gosh, I had the best day in the pool with my raft and oh, my boyfriend is there. <laughs> I'm sorry, because uh-huh. I, I was just imagining that the, the, the anecdote that you were telling was going to end. The guy's not going to get out and say, I had the best day, but that freaking raft. Really <laughs> that's what I thought. Pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I thought this was going to. That's, that's good so too. That's good too. I love that. I'm going to use that too now. But that's such a great analogy because you're just talking about an enhancement. And Whitney, I was thinking about how your dude, when he said that he wants the physical connection, I mean, men can be kissing us while they stimulate our clitoris and that's a physical connection. Mm -hmm. They can even have their penis inside us while they stimulate our clitoris with a vibrator. I mean, there are ways to maintain that physical connection. I think a lot of guys that women tell me they hear from just feel like it says you're not enough. And come on guys, get over that because we told you the stats, only four to 18% of clit havers can have an orgasm from your penis alone. So like this (laughs) vibrator is not your enemy, dude. It's your bestie. For sure. This reminded me of a funny story too. I I was talking to someone recently and asked like what what do they love in bed like what is their fantasy and like they this is their big one and they were like uh well I just really love when we come together like when and they weren't talking about me they're just like in general and in my head I was like um I'm probably I'm gonna go ahead and say that that's actually never happened in real life that is totally completely made up in your head How, why, why is that our holy grail, Lori? Why is the holy grail the simultaneous orgasm from penetration? And how can we, I mean, great. It's a great idea. As Whitney said, it's a fantasy people have, but why can't we dislodge that as the holy grail of sex? And what else, what can we do when that just starts to loom so large in our minds? And just to take a moment from the podcast, I wanted to talk to you guys about our new sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Now, they're doing testosterone tests where I find this really easy because it's uncomplicated. They can send it directly to your door. It's in discreet packaging, so nobody knows. You can collect your sample. You get to review your results. And then from there, a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone, and you get a prescription if you need. So what's really great about this is that you're able to check where your hormones are at. And I know for a lot of us out there, including women, it's really great to know where your testosterone levels are and for men as well. The first test that you get is your free testosterone, and that's the first biomarker that they test for. And why you want to know this is because your body uses it to produce sperm, maintain a healthy sex drive, maintain muscle strength and mass, and produce red blood cells which is absolutely important. So you guys, check them out. Get your testosterone checked. Super easy. Don't have to go to the doctor. Plus, we're quarantined right now. So you need to stay home. This is a really easy way to do it. Head over to www.trylgc.com slash wildlove. I'll say that again for you. It's www.trylgc.com slash wildlove. And you get to save 20% off. It's related to the same cultural myth because if you think about it, that simultaneous orgasm that's so mythical and, you know, everybody, you know, says they want, it's not like, oh, we get it when we're both like masturbating side by side or doing 69. 
It's all about it happening during penetration. So it's still all about the lie that we should orgasm the same way they do. And at the same time also, and, you know, Lori Brado is wonderful. And she talks a lot about mindfulness, which is a complete immersion in your bodily sensations. And that's required for orgasm, which is the opposite of what you talked about in the beginning, Whitney, being all up in your head. But think about if you're trying to have a simultaneous orgasm, you're not going to be body focused. You're going to be like, are they about to come? Are they about to come? I better tie mine. And you're not going to orgasm. So the whole thing is just another lie. And, you know, um, Paul Joannidis, the author of The Guide to Getting It On, provides a different perspective. He said, what a waste that is too, because then you'll be so immersed in your own orgasm, you won't get to experience the wonderful awe and pleasure of seeing your partner orgasm. So why even try for that? Take turns. And take the pressure off, right? Exactly. Pressure and sex do not mix. Oh my God. I mean, Whitney and I hear all the time, don't we, Wit, from men. And this makes me think of Sarah Hunter Murray's book, Not Always in the Mood. But Whitney and I always hear from men who have so much performance anxiety. Because frankly, you know, with this model that P and V sex is the only real sex, wow, does that ever crank up the pressure on the person with the penis, right? Exactly. And this is why becoming clitorate benefits both women and men, because it takes the pressure off of men to, quote, give a woman an orgasm by lasting hard and thrusting. You know, they can, you know, enjoy one, you know, giving through vibrator stimulation, oral sex, and then immerse in their own pleasure during intercourse. Um, And it just takes the pressure off of everybody. What a great idea, because how much easier is it to be, you know, in the present moment with sex when there's no pressure that you have to perform? Either you're the woman and you have to perform that his penis inside you is making you orgasm if it's not, or you have to perform and try really hard to make that happen, even if you're, you know, among the 80 to 95% of women who can't have an orgasm that way. And then for the guy, the pressure to just provide something that, you know, statistically is a very hard thing for a woman to do. I can see how, I can see how that would really lead to um, hostility and mutual misunderstanding in the worst instance. And then in the best instance, probably just confusion, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And even just putting on like a performance in general, you know, like not thinking about what you actually like, but like, ooh, I wonder how good I look doing this and look how good I can ride your dick. (laughs) And like, even that goes on in (laughs) the man's head too, right? And so we're putting, we're like putting on a play for our partner and we're not even focused on having the orgasm because we just want them to think that we're doing a good job. Yeah. I just posted a study I found yesterday on my Instagram. I don't remember the exact number. I think it was like 78%. I'd have to look it up, but it's pretty high. There was a study about when women moan and they mostly moan during intercourse and a really high percentage moan to make their partner feel good about himself. And so yeah, you have 87 87, so, is it? Yeah. 87% of women moan during sex to boost their male partner's self-esteem. Yeah. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with 
lifting your partner up during sex and when they're doing something great, letting them know about it. But Mm -hmm. this performance pressure that we put on women and men alike is too much. It, It robs us of pleasure. And that's why I love this idea of becoming cliterate um, as a way to just ratchet that pressure down. Too much pressure on the penis. It is. (laughs) (laughs) That thing's going to break off from all the pressure. Come on. I know. Sometimes I try to break it off. but something so going back to your book becoming cliterate i'm i would love to know what the response to your book has been because i know this is you know sometimes this can be pretty challenging for people to understand um just because it goes against everything that we've heard or read or seen or anything like that so what was the response to your book and how has it been you know there's been it's been really good i mean there's been a few i mean there's been a few uh, negatives. I mean, and usually those are, you know, on social media, you know, um, and I try not to let them get under my skin, but you know, they do sometimes the, the, the worst one for me, um, came very early on, but then I want to talk about the more positive responses, um, where, um, there was somebody wrote on my Facebook page, I think it was like, you know, really, you know, um, women are being stoned to death and you're worried about like people's orgasm equality. And it really- Guess what? They're linked. Thank you. It was really thrown for a loop. I went down the like spiral of, oh no, is what I'm doing important? And then exactly one of my dearest friends said, Lori, come on. They're they're due to the same root cause. Yeah. Devaluing women. Exactly. And that, that was like, and I, I hear from now the positive, right? I hear from women that the, like, I love it when I get notes from readers that the book has changed their life, that they're now orgasmic. I hear from men that it's taken the pressure off of them, that it's changed, you know, it's stuff they wish they knew. I had one man write me and say, if I'd known about this years ago, I wouldn't be divorced. Um, oh. a, a man wrote to me about giving it to his teenage daughters. Um, so oh, I get a, like, I'm getting a lot of positive, positive um, responses to the book from women and men of all ages. And that is so so affirming. So the negative has been really small. Um, yet I still fear, I, you know, I'm not the first to write about this. I stand on the shoulders of many, many women who've written about this before. And what troubles me is it just has never stuck. Um, and so, you know, uh, Cher Height um, wrote about this in the 1970s. Um, her response was way more negative. She ended up having to leave the country. She, yeah, got she had to move to Germany. Yeah, yeah. So I am so not the first, but I just hope we're in a place where this can just, like that no one else ever has to write a book about this again. You know, it's so interesting because when you think about what the idea of becoming cliterate does, is it really sort of upends the apple cart, if you will, or it sort of rejiggers the hierarchy of how we think about desire and sex? It's a, The idea of becoming cliterate is really about redefining sex. And I think that, you know, when we 
tell people that there's an, an entirely different way to focus on and think about sex, people just find it incredibly liberating and incredibly threatening. And I love how your book just stepped right into the fray with that and said, no, we really, we, there is this other way of seeing sexuality through the lens of something other than penetration and ejaculation. There's this whole other world. I feel like you opened up a whole world to people. And some people will look at that and say, oh my God, here's a whole world. And some people will say, you're, you're suggesting that I was wrong. But I just think you made a huge stride here for us, for all of us. And I want to thank you for that. Well, I mean, I, I feel the same way about you, as you know, in your book on true and what the conversation it's opening up and about, you know, which is a whole nother conversation I know, but the esteem goes right back at you for doing the same thing of like, let's look at these myths. Let's look at these lies and how they're harming us all. And, um, you know, in, in terms of becoming cliterate, it's, I, I have a whole chapter on language. And I want to just say that because you talk about the way we talk about it. I mean, the whole weight of the culture devalues women's sexuality when we call foreplay. That's, that means that what we do to women's clits isn't sex. And it, right, it, we're like, we're like, this is the pregame. No, it's not. It's the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in fact, I say in the book that, and, and again, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I didn't make this up. I learned this from other feminists and I wish I knew who to credit this for. But if the tables were turned and we overvalued women's sexuality and devalued men's sexuality, we would call foreplay sex and we would call intercourse postplay. Wow, that's huge. <laughs> there you go again, tipping everything upside down, Lori Mintz. I mean, I'm pretty good with, you know, it completely swapping and we put women's sexuality at the forefront. And we'll just do that for a little while. You know, Look, we you guys, we just for a while. Just 12,000 years. Up. Just for, it's our turn for 12,000 years and then it can yeah. be like 20 years. You know, it's like a pendulum swing, but it's going all the way over to us and then we'll get somewhere in the middle. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're going to go up so high on that pendulum swing. <laughs> just an idea. You know what I wanted to ask you both? I wanted to ask Whitney and Lori, both of you, you know, the actual getting into the nitty gritty of becoming clitorate. Lori, you talked a little bit about women learning the different things that they like to do to their clitoris. Women like it touched different ways. Can you guys just between the two of you, because you are actually, you know, in the trenches, you, Lori, talking to students, you, Whitney, coaching people. Can we just talk a little bit, actual examples of all the variations of how women like to do stuff with their clits? I mean, do we have... 75 hours. Yeah. Let's start. Because <laughs> mine, mine got a long list. You like, know? Well, yeah, go. <laughs> um, well, as you know, we've talked about a lot, the quadrants. This is also something that I talk to all my guy friends about. I'm like, hey, by the way, some people like to be touched on one side or the other side or lower, upper, wherever. And know your quadrant. Know your girlfriend's quadrant or, or whoever it is that you're hooking up with. And they are just shocked by the fact that that's a real thing. And so I feel like I, I am. And personally taking that on for everyone. I'm not even hooking up with them, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to help you out here. I and just so, want to say that I'm up for stage right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm stage left. 
<laughs> we always talk about that. See, we balance each other out perfectly. <laughs> Just get married. <laughs> and so you know if we ever get well no you're monogamous but I was about to say if we ever hook up and there's somebody there and they have a vibrator then they can use one hand on one side of your clit and the other hand on the other side of my clit oh my gosh that's <laughs> perfect <laughs> remark that hashtag goals goals okay I, I love that know your quadrant I think Kenneth Play talked about that I think you're the person who introduced me to that idea Whitney and then what else okay I'm going to say another thing some women, I don't know who these monsters are. No, I'm totally kidding. Some women like direct clitoral stimulation. Can I just say to anybody listening, if you ever directly touch my clit, I will probably like punch you in the face, not out of hostility, just out of pain. Some of us have super sensitive clits and need indirect stimulation. But I have girlfriends, uh, tell me and women DM me, boy, my DMs are amazing, um, that they like direct clitoral stimulation. And if there hadn't been a conversation about clitoracy, I would never have known that. And, you know, I get a lot of those same DMs too. And in kind of getting to the question, everybody's, there was a great study years ago where they dissected um, vulvas and found out that the nerve innervation of every woman's vulva is unique. So different people like different parts of their vulva stimulated. And I think the actual clitoral glands is covered by the hood. And it is very rare that anyone is going to want their hood lifted and their clitoris touched directly because it's usually painful. But there are a few, but a lot of people want it to the right, like you're saying, to the left, let know your quadrant, or on top of the hood or on the mons, which is the fatty tissue above. Um, and there's a great resource um, called OMG Yes. And they have videos yeah. of, they have touchscreen technology of vulvas, but they actually have videos of women masturbating and showing techniques. And, and that's another way going back to the conversation. Watch that with your partner. It will open up some serious conversations about how you like to be touched. Um, I'm so, so glad to be reminded of OMG Yes, Whitney, because yeah, some of it's our guests that, but you can't you can't say too much, too many great things about like an online touchscreen resource that gives you ideas about how you might like to touch your own clit or somebody else might like their touch. And I have to say, I kind of misspoke before when I was talking about direct stimulation, but I meant yes on the glands. But of course, the whole clitoris is much more extensive than that. So thank you yeah. for pointing and, that out, Lori. No, and you know, the whole, it's fine. And the whole, and I also think, you know, sometimes people say I like clitoral stimulation and they might be stimulating like next to the clit, like, you know, um, on their inner lips or like the two sides and pushing in, which gets to the clitor internal clitoris. I think a lot of people who say I love direct clitoral stimulation might also not have actually looked at their vulva, identified the parts and not even really knowing exactly where they're touching. Yeah, that makes sense. That absolutely. And, and, and can we just, give like some of the best homework ever is to, you know, tonight or tomorrow before our next podcast comes out next Thursday, just go down there and like 
play around and see what you like and see what kind of pressure you like. And if you, some people don't like vibration and that's totally normal. And if you don't like that, then use your hands and just explore and see really what feels good. That would make me very, very happy. And you know what? I will say that I will do it too. (laughs) I'll do it. I will too. And I'm going to one up you and say, get a mirror, put it down there so that you can see, you can look at it. You can see, you know, do you like the adjacent stimulation method that, that Lori described where you're like on a spot near the glands, but maybe you're on your outer labia and pushing in? Do you like, oh, maybe some women like a little penetration and then pulling the vibrator up so it's closer to the glands. Look in the mirror while you're experimenting and just, you can, the most amazing thing. I mean, do you know how many women have never looked at their clit? at the, the glands, um, that would be a really great thing to do. I didn't do that until I was like very much past my 30s. Really? To actually, to actually get a mirror and look down there. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. also, can I just give a shout out? If you do look Please. down there, two things. Like you're not going to look the way that you see vulvas look in videos or porn, or a lot of them have been um, surgically or digitally altered. And every vulva is unique. It's what gives the vulva their personality. And it's perfectly normal for your inner lip to stick out from your outer lip, to have one inner lip bigger than the other. And if you want some, there's great examples of real vulvas and what they look like. There's a a project called Gyno Diversity, and I have a picture of it in my book, but don't, it's, it's, don't expect it to look like this, like, you know, clamshell appearance because it's not, and it's not supposed to. What a great point about how part of becoming, of developing your cliteracy is understanding that whatever your vulva looks like, that's fine. And that there's not one way that a vulva is supposed to look. And that most of the images that we receive of them have been digitally enhanced or even surgically altered sometimes um, and cleaned up in quotation marks. Because how can you really, you know, develop your cliteracy if you're laboring under this cloud of, oh, my vulva is ugly. No, it's not. It's not. I love your vulva. I love all of your vulvas. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me, uh, me three. Oh my God. Yes. I love this so much. I even like, I mean, give your vulva some affirmations. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you give your body affirmations. Like when you're looking at your vulva in the mirror, give an affirmation, be like, God damn, you're beautiful. Just yeah. say to your pussy, you're so fine, right? She looks at her, excuse me, she looks at her vulva and she says every day, right? Oh, my pussy's so gorgeous. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. There is a great movie. If you go on Betty Dotson's website, um, dotsonandross.com and there's a, like, it's under her, I think she calls them vintage films. It's called Carol Celebrating Orgasm. I show it in my class and it's Betty Dotson, who's a long-term orgasm coach teaching this woman how to orgasm. And in there, Betty says to her, do you see how beautiful your vulva is? Look at that. It's so beautiful. 
And in the end, you know, the Carol talks about feel, finding herself beautiful. It's so moving. It's, it's, it's really worth a watch. And what, what a subversive act, you know, for a woman who's grown up saying, being told, don't look down there and presuming there's something wrong with it. Or like, you know, I love your point about how we used to call it the labia minora and the labia majora. And then many of us stopped doing that because sometimes the lips on the inside hang down below the outer lips. Sometimes they're bigger. Um, there's a lot of variation. And let me just say, you know, from the perspective of science, um, there's something called mammalian asymmetry, right? Mammals, you know, we are not perfectly symmetrical and your vulva is not supposed to be perfectly symmetrical. And so, gosh, ease up on your vulva. It's gorgeous. Can mm-hmm. I tell you all a very funny story about Please. that? Please. So when I was writing Becoming Clitorate, I was talking about this and, you know, about different vulvas being looking different. And I had a line in the book that said, truth be told, I'm one of those women with asymmetrical lips. My vulva profile looks like a a mouth with a tongue sticking out of it, um, which it does. <laughs> and um, That's and, adorable. Well, but then see this, what happened was, the book was in press, like literally going into press. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I literally, I think it was close to a panic attack thinking, oh my gosh, my daughters are going to read this. Their boyfriends are going to read this. My father's going to read this. Like it's too much of a visual on my vulvas. I wrote my editor and I said, this doesn't sound good for Thanksgiving dinner. Can I please edit that out? And <laughs> <laughs> and she wrote back and she said, no, no, be brave. You have to, people need to hear it. And I said, okay, but let's just take the image out a little bit. Let's just say, truth be told, I'm one of those women who have a, has an inner lip sticking out from the outer lip. Can we take the metaphor, the visual out? She said, I don't want to, but it's your vulva. It's your, you know, you go ahead. So we did. And for about three days, Every time my husband passed me, you know, in the kitchen or the bathroom or whatever, he'd take his tongue and stick it out of his mouth and make a funny (laughs) face. (laughs) I love it. You know, I think you probably did women a big service by just, you know, putting it out there. Everybody's vulva doesn't look the way we think that they're supposed to. I had to pull my pants down while you were talking and look at my vulva. And I remember that the last time I, <laughs> I did, I had to do just that. to make sure it's still there or what? <laughs> no, I had to just have a look at it and see like how I would describe it. My pants are down now. And um, <laughs> I went to the OBGYN recently and I said, you know, there's something on my vulva. And I was like, a little distressed about it because I don't know, I just didn't want it to be something dangerous, which I presumed it must be. And, you know, it was like this spot on my vulva and he looked at it and he goes, join, um, welcome to the human species. You have a freckle on your vulva. <laughs> so I just want to put out there that OBGYNs who see a lot will tell you if you ask them, is my vulva, you know, is my vulva, is there something wrong? Hopefully medically there is not. And most of the time they'll just tell you, yep, there's a lot of variation there. Absolutely. I love that. A lot of beautiful variation. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Lori, for being here with us today, for elevating the conversation, for making me pull my pants down. <laughs> And for speaking so honestly about orgasm equality and explaining to us why it matters and how to get it. I love your work. Well, I love your work too. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun and an honor. You guys, yeah. Go ahead, Wade. I was just saying that this was a, a super informational podcast. And I think this is, I mean, I, I really think everyone in the entire world should listen to this episode in particular. I do too. And I want to say that everyone should also read Lori's book. It's called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. It's now out in paperback as well as hardcover. And you can get it on Audible and hear Lori reading it herself. And Lori, how can people find you on social media? Because they're going to want to. At my website, my Facebook, my Pinterest, my Twitter, everything has the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. So D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. So my website is www.drlorimintz.com. My Instagram is Dr. Lori Mintz. So I'm pretty easy to find um, on all of those channels. And you guys will love her hilarious Instagram posts. They're so good. And also her sassy, sassy, information-rich tweets. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Lori, this was great. It was so fun. Thank you. I've never before had a podcast host pull their pants down. So this is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) It happens a lot around here. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Lori. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. Yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.